Good morning. This is Charles Kitchens at Zion's Rest Primitive Baptist Church, and I want to send you greetings from not only from us here at the church, but especially from our Lord and Savior this morning uh, on this resurrection morning, this first day of the week uh, since the Passover. Uh, we, we celebrate this day that occurred some 1,990 years ago uh, about this time of the resurrection of our Lord. And so as we, uh, as we come together here this morning, uh, we just want to say greetings. And uh, as we look at this uh, time of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord, and we'll try to look at that this morning and see uh, why this is such an important day for all of God's children uh, across this world and why we celebrate it so much and uh, why we are at least uh, a little bit sorrowful in some ways that we can't be here together face-to-face uh, -face this morning, yet, uh, yet we're thankful that through technology that we're able to uh, uh, go out the, along the airways and be able to uh, bring a message uh, of the resurrection to you here this morning. If you'll bow with us, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for blessing us to be able to be here. Uh, we would ask, O oh Lord, that as we, uh, uh, as we come to bring this message to God's people this morning that may be listening uh, with us live this day or whether they are listening to it later, Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would fill us up this day and, Lord, that you would enable us by your power to look into thy word and bring forth a message, Lord, that would not only give us hope and uh, 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 joy this day, but Lord, that would point and give you all the glory, Lord, for what you've done for us. As we come together today, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless this message, bless all the people, Lord, that are out there. We know that there are many that are suffering and hurting because of the uh, shutdown of our nation, some because of this coronavirus. Lord, we pray that your healing hand might be across this land and country. Protect our, our little flock here at Zion's Rest. P protect this nation and country. Bless us, Lord, to come out of this uh, with more humble, uh, more gracious, uh, more thankful, Lord, for all the blessings that we have in you. And, Lord, we, again, pray that you would bless this time of service this morning, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, and amen. As we uh, take a look this morning at the, uh, uh, again, we're going to be talking about this, uh, this important day. Uh, in fact, uh, as we look back at the uh, resurrection of our Lord that occurred on that first day of the week, uh, again, some 1,990 years ago, we're looking at a, the, what I'm going to say this morning was the pivotal point in history. Uh, everything that's important to us today hinges around that day and we'll see that if God would, would grant us the uh, grace to look at that this morning uh, in his word uh, but it's, uh, it's, the, it's the most important day in history for us uh, and for those that will be alive when he comes back the second time uh, it'll, be, it'll be a great day to see him coming in the clouds but the, the most important part is, uh, is that day that occurred and that's what Christ came here for we know that uh, he set an example he did much teaching uh, we know that uh, he condemned the Pharisees for their uh, how they had taken the, the, uh, the teachings of God and had perverted them and made it more about them than about God uh, but yet Christ came for this very purpose to, and, and this day, it was all pointed toward coming to the cross and going uh, and dying for, for our sins. And as we look at that this morning, I want to turn over to a place, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 would be where we'll start. But I want us to think about the fact this morning that uh, there, was, there were many things that were, when I say the pivotal point in history, the reason I say that is because so many things came together at the cross. 
So many things came together uh, at the resurrection. And so uh, much of the teaching of the Old Testament, much of the teaching of the law, the Bible tells us that Christ came to fulfill the law, uh, not to condemn the law. And so uh, as he fulfilled the law while he, while he walked here upon this earth, uh, uh, we, we look back at this day and see just how important it was for you, for you and me. The Bible tells us that we, uh, that we are sinners. And uh, we could turn over uh, this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 3 and we'd see uh, where Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God. God had given them a law there in the Garden of Eden that they were, uh, t- could eat of all the trees of the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and being tempted by Satan, uh, Eve first partook of the fruit, then she gave to her husband Adam. Uh, And since God had given the commandment to Adam, uh, Adam was the one held responsible for the sin that took place there because uh, Eve was given to him as a helpmeet, and he was to be watching over and taking care of her. Uh, And as they transgressed the law of God, uh, they placed themselves in in a state of sin. And the Bible tells us, if we turn over here to this 1 Corinthian letter, uh, one of the places that it mentions here is for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, there's a principle taught here in the Word of God, and we could turn back over to Romans chapter 8 and find the uh, very similar language, uh, and may, we may just turn back over there to that for a moment. He tells us in the, uh, uh, in the 19th verse, the 5th chapter of the book of Romans, uh, he says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We turn and look at this portion of Scripture. In Adam all die. Uh, we find that Adam is the, uh, is the one that transgressed the law of God. And the Bible tells us if, uh, if we turned over into uh, uh, first, uh, first John chapter 3, I believe, verse 7, it tells us that the transgression of the law is, is sin. So when a man transgresses the law of God, when he disobeys God and transgresses the law, this is sin. And the Bible tells us in other places, and it, it all hones back around this one portion of Scripture, uh, that uh, sin is the transgression of the law of God. Anything that's not of faith is sin. Uh, anything that's unrighteous is sin. And so uh, there are a number of different Scriptures that talk about what sin is. And Adam and Eve uh, plunge not only themselves into a state of sin, but the Bible tells them that if the day that you eat thereof, talking about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the day that they would eat thereof, they would surely die. And so not only did they plunge themselves into a state of sin, but they also put themselves in a state where they were dying. Their bodies were then going to die and decay away uh, over time, uh, but death had been placed upon them as a sentence for sin. You know, we turn over to Romans chapter 6 and we find over there uh, where, where again the Apostle Paul tells us the wages of sin is death. But he all, but thank, thank the Lord he didn't just stop there with that portion of scripture. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one of the things that we have earned by our sin is death. Uh, and so death comes upon, death passed upon every man because all men have sinned. Uh, so as sinners, we're bound to, to death here in this old world. And we, we know in this same 1 Corinthian uh, uh, letter in the uh, 15th chapter uh, that it tells us there that one of the last enemies that must be conquered is death. 
uh, when all things are put under the feet of our Lord and Savior, uh, the last enemy that will be conquered is death. What does it mean by that? It means the last enemy that will be put away will be death. Uh, but uh, as we think about this portion of Scripture, uh, he tells us that, one, we're sinners because our, our, uh, our forefather, Adam, made us all sinners. Uh, and as sinners, we are, uh, we were t- we were, they were kicked out of the garden. They were taken out of the garden, out of the close walk and fellowship with God. And because of sin, uh, we would not be allowed to enter into heaven's fair world one of these days and be gathered together back with our Savior. We have a fellowship with Christ here in this old world uh, because of the new birth and because of uh, uh, the fact that he borns us again of the Spirit of God. We have a fellowship with him. But, <clears throat> but it's not going to be like being in the presence of God where there is no sin. And so... <coughs> So each of us have a couple of different problems, and, and uh, maybe more than that. Uh, but uh, uh, we have to, uh, a few problems that were brought about by the sin, one, uh, by, by the transgression of the law in the garden. One, we're sinners. And secondly, we have a sentence of death placed upon us. And as we look uh, uh, to, the, to the types and the shadows of the things that are laid out in Scripture, we find uh, uh, that uh, God all along had a solution uh, for these things, and that solution was Christ Jesus. If we turn back to that, that portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 real quickly, we will, we will find there, it says that the Lord God said unto Satan, verse 14, or said unto the serpent, <coughs> because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shall thou go, and, and, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And talking about uh, the seed of the woman, uh, talking about uh, that seed that uh, later was promised uh, to Abraham in the, uh, uh, in the book of Genesis here, uh, when, Genesis, uh, when Abraham was told that in thy seed, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, Brother Adam mentioned here over the last uh, couple of Sundays talking about things from the book of Galatians, uh, that that seed that is mentioned there, uh, Abraham's seed of which all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed, uh, that seed was Christ. It didn't say seeds many, uh, but it says the seed of Abraham. And here he call, it is called the seed of the woman because of the virgin birth that is foretold in the book of uh, Isaiah. And it says, uh, <coughs> and it says, thy seed, talking about uh, the serpent uh, and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel and and so forth. So he begins the very first prophecy we have of the coming of Christ Jesus is here in Genesis chapter 3. It's given by the Lord himself and he tells us that the day is coming when the seed of the woman is going to come forth and he's going to bruise the head of the serpent (coughs) and and we find uh, that, uh, uh, that this is going to be the result uh, because of sin coming into this world. Uh, Adam and Eve are going to be taken out of the garden, but God begins to give a promise here in Genesis chapter 3 uh, of the remedy uh, and the bringing back together of God's people uh, uh, to, to him. Uh, so we turn over a little bit further in this book of Genesis, uh, and we find some other principles beginning to be laid out. Uh, God has chosen Abraham. Abraham has left uh, his land.
land in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, and he's come to a place, to a land that God had given him. Uh, and, and after uh, uh, many years of waiting, I'm going to say about 25 years of waiting after the promise, uh, uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah, in their old age, uh, uh, when it was beyond, beyond possibility, naturally, uh, the Bible says that Abraham's body uh, uh, was, uh, uh, was beyond childbearing time, and, and the woman's uh, womb was dead, um, and we find, but God interceded and blessed them to have a child. In this, we began to see a couple of principles unfolding. One, just as God spoke into the dust of the earth there in that garden and breathed into that, uh, that man, Adam, uh, the breath of life, God proved that life was in him. And he proved that again when, uh, with Abraham and Sarah. When they were past childbearing time, both him physically uh, and her with her womb being dead, uh, we find that God interceded on their behalf uh, and they were able to have a child, uh, uh, her at age uh, uh, 90 and him at, at the age of 100. Uh, they were blessed to have a child, uh, and that child uh, uh, was raised up uh, uh, by the name of Isaac. Uh, and, I, and when uh, Isaac became of a certain age, uh, God t uh, tried or tempted uh, Abraham, and he came to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there to me. And the Bible tells us that Abraham rose up early in the morning and took his young child and carried him to Mount Moriah and he carried the wood and the fire with him. And the Bible says they arrived there on the third day. That's, that's another beginning place for us to begin to see that the third day was very important. As Abraham carried his young son up there and laid him upon the wood and was ready to sacrifice him to God because God had commanded him to. The reason Abraham was doing this was because God told him to do this. And there's a whole lot of things playing out here in the background because you remember God had already told Abraham, Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then he comes along and commands Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son. Again, a principle being laid out, a type or a shadow, if you will, of things to come that Abraham much like God took his only begotten son carried him up on Mount Moriah that day and was ready to and bound him down to the altar that he'd built out of wood and was ready to draw back his uh, his knife or his sword and take the very the child's life but suddenly the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and showed him that there was a ram caught in a thicket uh, uh, next to him. Uh, oh, again, a picture of the coming of Christ. Uh, a ram uh, uh, caught uh, in, uh, in briars. Uh, uh, imagine uh, again this time, uh, uh, some rolling time forward. Imagine our Lord and Savior on the uh, night uh, uh, before he was crucified uh, uh, as they placed a robe around him and, and put a crown of thorns uh, uh, upon his head, uh, mocking him uh, as being the king of the Jews. And so as, uh, as Abraham took his son up there, uh, we see a principle being taught. Uh, there was a substitute made for the sacrifice that God required. God required a blood sacrifice. We go back again to the, to the book of Genesis. Uh, when Adam and Eve uh, were in the garden, they tried to cover their sins uh, by sewing fig leaves together and covering up uh, uh, their naked bodies, uh, which uh, uh, suddenly had become an offense uh, uh, for some reason. And we'll maybe delve into that sometime. Uh, but uh, their, their bodies had suddenly become an offense. Uh, <coughs> and they tried to cover their bodies up 
Uh, by covering them with fig leaves, but God showed them there that those fig leaves which withered up uh, and would not be, make a sufficient covering, uh, God took an animal uh, uh, there and, and slew him, uh, shed, shed innocent blood for their ha behalf that he might cover up their, uh, their nakedness and, and clothe them with animal skins. Uh, now we turn over here to Abraham. Uh, Abraham is carrying his son up as commanded. Uh, this son uh, that God had already promised Abraham that in that in thy seed, Abraham, and we know that seed was Christ, but nonetheless, Abraham's son Isaac needed to live in order for this, for Jesus to come into a place some thousands and thousands of years later. And so Abraham took his son up there, knowing that this God who had who had caused him and his wife when they were beyond childbearing age, had showed them that life was in him, not in them, and that God was able to bless them and bring forth life. Abraham knew that this God who had given them this child was able to either raise him up from the dead if he followed through with the sacrifice or that God would find the way. And so he showed him the ram caught in the thicket. They then sacrificed the ram. Isaac grew on and uh, years later would have uh, uh, sons Jacob and Esau and Jacob would become the, the one that, that would be blessed to carry on the seed uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob uh, uh, and on to Christ. Uh, but uh, we have this principle laid out here that man is a sinner and sacrifices needed to be made to cover for his sins. We, we turn over a little bit further. We turn over to the book of Exodus and again, we find uh, the children of Israel now some 430 years after the time of, uh, of, the, uh, <clears throat> of Jacob and, uh, and, the, uh, and his family going down into Egypt and following Joseph down into that land uh, where the, uh, they had gone to, uh, to flee from the famine that was in the land and God had placed Joseph down there uh, and that where he interpreted the uh, dreams of the Pharaoh and st the storehouses were full because God had provided a way down there in that land to feed uh, uh, Jacob and his family so that that seed line might continue. What a blessing uh, uh, we find that to be. And some 430 years later, after, of course, after Joseph and Jacob are dead and the Pharaoh that uh, was so thankful that Joseph and his family had come down there into that land. Uh, this Pharaoh had died many, many years ago and now an, uh, another other Pharaohs had come in his place uh, that did not know Joseph and Jacob and did not know the blessings uh, and now the children of Israel are in slavery down there in Egypt's land and they begin to moan and to cry out to God. God, take us out of this. Uh, free us from this uh, slavery and this burden that we, uh, these taskmasters that we have here in this land. And God raised up a man by the name of Moses uh, of the tribe of Levi. And, uh, uh, and you know the story uh, how Moses came back and told the Pharaoh to set his people free. And God had already told him, Moses, before he came there. He said, uh, uh, Moses, uh, uh, you will show him many miracles uh, and many things will will take place, but uh, this Pharaoh will not let the people go uh, unless there be the death of the firstborn. So as we, uh, as we go through all those uh, uh, various famines and plagues that were placed upon 
Egypt down there, uh, we see then uh, uh, the time came uh, when God told uh, Moses uh, uh, that uh, the death of the firstborn would be required. The death of the firstborn of every every uh, uh, person in the land of Egypt. Uh, and the only thing that would save them, uh, uh, the children of Israel, uh, or others, uh, uh, strangers that might have been abiding even in the, uh, in the camps of Israel at that time, the only thing that would save them uh, when God passed through, and I want to say this uh, this morning, uh, despite what Cecil B. DeMille says, uh, it wasn't the death angel that came through the camps of Egypt that night. Uh, death passed through the land because God passed through the land that night, uh, declaring judgment upon uh, uh, those people that had uh, uh, caused such great burdens upon uh, uh, upon the children of Israel and, uh, and been such uh, cruel taskmasters to them down there. And as uh, and as uh, as the as as God was telling Moses uh, what they needed to do, uh, he told them that they were to keep uh, what was going to be the Passover uh, and that what they would do uh, is they were to take on the 10th day of that first month, uh, they were to take a lamb uh, out of the flocks of God uh, and they were to take that little lamb, uh, a lamb of the first year and that lamb was to be without spot, uh, a male lamb by the way, uh, without spot and without blemish and they were to bring that lamb into their home and it was to become like a pet for them uh, that they nourished and cherished for the next three to four days there in their house. And then on the fourth day, they were to rise up and they were to slay this lamb and take his life. And they were to take the uh, the meat of the, of the lamb and it was all to be consumed that night. And the blood of that lamb, again, uh, we have the principle here that blood was required, uh, that God required uh, blood to be shed uh, for, their, for their sins and for their freedom, if you will. Uh, to set them free. We begin to see several principles being laid out here. One, blood was required when Adam and Eve uh, had transgressed the law of God and uh, an innocent animal was slain. Now we have an innocent lamb being slain uh, here in the camps of Egypt. Uh, that is being, uh, uh, and the blood of this uh, lamb was to be placed uh, uh, with hyssop upon the doorpost, the side post, and upon the lintel, the top post uh, uh, of the house, so that when uh, on the outside of the house, so when uh, God passed through the camp, uh, he would see the blood, and when he saw the blood, he would pass over the households where the blood had been applied. Oh, I tell you, a great principle uh, laid out for us here in the Word of God uh, uh, that uh, down in Egypt as uh, they were set free uh, from slavery and from bondage. And, and I th again, that's going to become an important terminology uh, for us to remember because we have a couple of problems here going on. One, we're sinners. Uh, one, we have a death sentence placed upon us. Uh, and, uh, and both of these, uh, both the sin debt uh, uh, that we owe that we cannot pay... Uh, uh, because blood is required, uh, and not just any blood, uh, uh, but the blood uh, of a pure, innocent lamb uh, is required, and not just any blood, because the Bible tells us when we turn over to the book of Hebrews that the bloods of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer could never take away our sins. All of these things that were done uh, down in Egypt uh, uh, that were done after the Ten Commandments were given uh, to the children of Israel, after the law was given to the children of Israel as they uh, uh, journeyed there in the wilderness, all of these things, all of these animal sacrifices could never take away their sins. There was only one thing that was going to be required and that was the death of an innocent lamb and we're going to see who that lamb was as we look forward because friends today uh, just as it was in that day we need Jesus 
It's all about him. The Bible tells us he's our all in all. And we're going to see that uh, this morning for just a little while. That he's our high priest. Uh, he's our lamb. Uh, he's our good shepherd. Uh, he's uh, the blood that, uh, that was needed for our sins. Uh, everything that we stand in need of to have our sins taken away. Uh, uh, my friends, all centers around that pivotal point and that pivotal person, Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we uh, as we see the children of Israel, uh, uh, death passed through the camps of uh, uh, of Israel that night, uh, or through Egypt that night, and the children of Israel and the strangers who had applied the blood to the doorposts and the lentils were passed over. And that night they went out, uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, so on this Passover night. Uh, this Passover day, uh, they began to journey out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and, uh, and that first day after that, they the Lord tells them later, they're to celebrate that next day also. That next day is to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that feast is to be a seven-day feast uh, uh, that they were to celebrate. Uh, why? Uh, there in Egypt, they didn't have time to place the yeast uh, in the bread and have that bread rise uh, there. But leaven, uh, the leaven and the yeast also represent... Uh, sin. And so they had unleavened bread, uh, bread uh, that was not made to rise, but was uh, uh, like our Savior, free of sin, free of leaven. Uh, they had that bread there in the camp. They had the lamb that night. The blood of the lamb was upon the doorpost. And now some years later, we dial forward and we find Jesus Christ, who came into this world to be our Savior. Uh, we, find, we find him coming to Jerusalem at the very time of the Passover. You know, what a coincidence, right? That he would, he would come at the time of the Passover. No, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians again that Jesus Christ, who is our Passover, he is our Passover. Uh, and we also find uh, 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 that, uh, that he is our resurrection. Uh, and, uh, and the Bible tells us, if we're going back to the, the, the issue of sin once again, if there, where there is no, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So as we look at these uh, blood sacrifices that have been made back there in the Old Testament, uh, beginning with the animals there at the garden, uh, with the ram that was caught in the thicket that was offered up as a sacrifice to God, the lamb uh, that was offered there uh, uh, by each household, by the way, uh, later to be taken up as a, a lamb that would be sacrificed for the nation of Israel. Uh, but there in Egypt, uh, one lamb uh, for each household, they were to consume it. If it was too much for one household, they were to join together with the next household. But that lamb was to be fully consumed that night. And the blood of the, of the lamb uh, applied to the doorpost and the lentils. We turn over to the book of Hebrews uh, for just a moment. And we find over there uh, that uh, as, we as we mentioned earlier uh, here in this uh, 22nd verse of the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it tells us uh, that almost all things by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Oh, I tell you, my friends, uh, the, the earthly sacrifices, the, the, the lambs and the bulls and the goats and, the, uh, and all those things that were sacrificed there and the blood of these uh, animals uh, would never take away our sins. Uh, they, the, the things for the heavenly had to be purified 
with better things. As we turn over a little bit further into this uh, 10th chapter, this same book of Hebrews, we find here it says, for by one offering, let's go above that to verse 12 of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And this man, uh, after after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat uh, uh, sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Jesus Christ, my friends, uh, uh, only had to make one offering. But why? Because it was the perfect offering. Uh, There was not another offering that would ever need to be made. And he goes on and tells us there, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and in their minds and I will write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. What does that word remission mean? I, uh, after, I probably looked this up years ago, but I was looking at this uh, in the last few days. Uh, that word remission uh, simply means uh, uh, release from bondage. It means forgiveness. Uh, just like the children of Israel were released from bondage and slavery down in Egypt uh, because of the work of God there in that land. Uh, and because uh, uh, as God passed himself passed through the camp and saw the blood of the Lamb, they were set free from the slavery of Egypt that they might go and they might worship their God and that they might be followers of Him all the days of their lives. Now we find here, now where remission of these is, remission was made at the cross, my friends. Bondage and slavery, we were set free from the bondage of sin and the slavery of sin. Where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin, no more No need for another offering to be made. Now we turn over, uh, seeing that there's a need for sin to uh, uh, to be atoned for, to be sacrificed for, to be remitted for. Jesus Christ, uh, uh, that, uh, that Lamb of God. And I'm, maybe I'll turn over here next to, uh, just to grab this portion of Scripture because uh, uh, it's important to, to begin to link uh, some of these things together. This, uh, uh, this, uh, this uh, sacrifice that was needed to be made, uh, this Lamb that, was, uh, uh, that would be sacrificed uh, and set the people free. And as we, uh, as we turn over to the first chapter of the book of John, and John is, uh, uh, the Apostle John is so ably described I mean, uh, uh, the Word of God, which was in the beginning, which spoke things into creation. Uh, and we'll look at a little bit at that uh, a little bit later. But uh, as God Himself, through the Word, Jesus Christ, spoke uh, uh, all creation into existence, uh, uh, He was there in the very beginning, uh, and He begins to tell us... Uh, <coughs> That but there would be a forerunner that would come before this uh, uh, this Messiah that was to come, Jesus Christ, who was to come, and we find over here that John the Baptist was that forerunner uh, that had been foretold that would come, declaring declaring the good news uh, that a Savior was come, and it tells uh, that as uh, John was baptizing, it says uh, these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing, and the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him uh, and saith. 
Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ was that Lamb that was come to take away the sin of the world. He was the one that was going to sacrifice and shed His blood and redeem and remit the bondage of the sin and the slavery that you and I were in. Oh, what a blessed time. Uh, all things uh, from the very beginning pivoting around this coming of a Savior that was going to come that day and take away uh, our sins. And in the 15th uh, chapter of the, of the first Corinthian letter again, we turn back over there. Uh, this letter not only tells us that we were all sinners in Adam because Adam sinned, uh, we are also sinners. Uh, but now he's, he makes this comment uh, talking about the resurrection. As Paul begins this portion of Scripture here in the 1 Corinthians 15, first of all he says, uh, I declare you to the, uh, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you and which ye have received and wherein ye stand and by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. There is a salvation that comes in the gospel. Uh, the, the gospel is not uh, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel is not uh, uh, what redeems us from our sins. Uh, uh, but my friends, as we follow after and remember the word of God uh, that's been preached to us, as we remember this resurrection day, uh, uh, it gives us hope beyond this life and beyond this world. I'll tell you, <clears throat> in the land and country, in the world that we're living in today, uh, with the coronavirus out there causing uh, <clears throat> so much havoc and so much trouble and so much death and so much pain and so much agony uh, to so many people. Uh, uh, we need to know that there's something beyond life, beyond this life. We need to know uh, that there's something that's victorious over death. And Jesus Christ in the gospel uh, gives us that answer uh, uh, here. He says, uh, I want to declare you to the gospel. Uh, and what is that, the gospel? Now, I understand it, uh, as, as Brother Adam has said so ably here on many different occasions, uh, uh, Jesus didn't just come to die on the cross. He came to do more than that. But I'll tell you, my friends, what the Bible tells us also is without the resurrection, all of, all of the preaching of the gospel would be in vain. Our faith would be in vain. Uh, if if, uh, if uh, our, our following after Christ would be in vain, it would all be empty if Jesus was still in the tomb. And so he tells us here, For I delivered to you first of all, which I received, <coughs> how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. There's that third day. Oh, I'll preach on that sometime. Uh, maybe all the things that happened on the third day. Uh, but he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Abraham and Isaac saw Mount Moriah on the third day. And as he, and as he was seen of Cephas and of the twelve and then seen above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto the present but some are fallen asleep or died and after that he was seen of James and all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Paul is establishing the fact that after the death and burial of Jesus Christ, he was seen of many people. We could turn over there this morning and look and we see uh, that on that, uh, on that first day of the week, Mary uh, and, uh, and, and Mary, uh, uh, mother of Joseph and, uh, and, and the other Mary, uh, uh, all of these ladies, uh, uh, yes, the ladies, my friends, uh, uh, we wonder sometimes, where were the men? Uh, well, uh, like so many times, uh, just like I've looked and seen over the, in the churches over the years so many times, uh, uh, the old faithful sisters still 
seals sitting there on the benches. Uh, uh, the men, uh, not there. Uh, these faithful sisters went to the tomb that morning because they remembered uh, uh, that on the he had said that on the third day uh, uh, he would come forth. But even with that, my friends, uh, uh, there, there must have been some doubt in their minds or some wonder because they were going there to apply uh, a balm to his body and going there to uh, anoint his body with, uh, uh, with spices and with oils uh, only to get there and find that the tomb was empty. Uh, uh, as the angel was sitting there, he says, come on in, ladies. Uh, take a look. He's gone. He's risen. Uh, he will meet, uh, go and tell the disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee uh, as he told them before. Uh, but he says, uh, he says this, and this is how important uh, uh, this victory over death is because I think the other thing that was so important here not only did Jesus Christ come to shed his blood to die for you and me <clears throat> but as he died for you and me and paid our sin debt through his blood Jesus Christ also my friends was showing he had power over death and I want to, I want to look at that for as, as a little bit here this morning before we uh, as, as this next portion of what we're looking at, not only did he have to come and to die to shed his blood to redeem us and, uh, from our sins, my friends, he also showed that he had power over the penalty of sin, which was death. That was, the, that was the curse that was placed upon them there in the garden. Not only had they transgressed the law and become sinners and, and had a debt that needed to be paid, uh, but now they were placed into a state uh, of sin and death. Uh, the Bible tells us, if we turn over to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, uh, that, the law of, uh, that the, the law of life in Christ Jesus uh, has set us fr free uh, from the law of sin and death. Uh, the law of life in Christ Jesus uh, has set us free from the law of sin and death and as uh, Jesus Christ came that day uh, to uh, to show that he had power over death and and I want to to delve and to look into this just a little bit but let me read this first uh, here in the 13th verse uh, of the 15th chapter of, uh, of 1 Corinthians uh, he says if there be no resurrection of the dead then is Christ not risen well, because one of the things you would have to say, if there is no resurrection of the dead, obviously there were some that were believing this, and obviously they didn't believe Christ had been raised from the dead because if I showed you one person that had been raised from the dead, my friends, then, there, then you'd have to say, well, there's a resurrection. There's obviously a resurrection. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? If Christ be not risen, then he said, Paul says, our preaching is vain, your faith is also vain, yet we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ of whom he raised not up if so be the dead rise not and if the dead rise not then is, then is not Christ raised and if Christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins that's how important the resurrection is the resurrection is so important that if, that if uh, Christ didn't come forth from the tomb, then not only is there no resurrection for us, but you're yet in your sins and our faith and our, our belief and our preaching is all vain. So let's take a look at that here this morning uh, if we can. And I, I want to tell you that, uh, that I believe it's more than just the fact that he had power over death. 
Uh, You look at this and you say, well, if we turn to uh, the, uh, I believe it's the seventh chapter of the book of Luke this morning, we would find over there that Jesus was coming, uh, uh, Jesus who lived in Nazareth at that time and was uh, in the regions of Galilee, had gone to the city of Nain. And as he was coming into the city of Nain, N-A-I-N, if you want to look that up, uh, as he was going into the city of Nain, uh, uh, there he met a funeral buyer coming out. uh, and uh, and, And as that was greeted him, there was a young man that had died was the only son of his mother and Jesus uh, uh, and you know uh, uh, as we as we look at this uh, there's many things going on uh, as there always is uh, uh, but think about this the only son of this woman the one that she would have depended on to help uh, take care for her and take care of her uh, as life would go on as her life would go on uh, and Jesus met them bringing this uh, young boy and a funeral buyer uh, out of the city uh, and Jesus had compassion on the woman And he touched the bar, and the young man raised up and came to life. Jesus Christ proved he had power over death. We also turn, and uh, and there'll be more that we'll look at this, but I'll just say real quickly, if we turn over to the 11th chapter of the book of John, uh, we find there that in the in the time preceding him coming to Jerusalem uh, for that final Passover, uh, uh, that he had gone uh, uh, out into the wilderness, uh, and uh, and the uh, as he was there, uh, a word came to him that uh, his friend Lazarus, uh, the brother of Mary and Martha, uh, had died, and uh, and Jesus on the uh, fourth day went into that uh, into that town and the Bible says uh, uh, that as, uh, as Martha came out to him first she says Lord uh, if you had just been here our, our brother would not have died and uh, of course Mary later comes to him and says uh, uh, the same thing but he, he looks at her and Jesus saith unto her thy brother shall rise again and Martha saith unto him I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day and Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection. You want to see the resurrection? Look at Jesus Christ. Don't look, don't, don't look. Yes, he had power over death. He's already shown that he had power, and he's about to show it again that he had power over death. But you know what that proves, uh, my friends? Uh, uh, it just proves once again that he's a prophet like Elisha. Uh, we go back and we look at the uh, fourth chapter of the book of, uh, of Second Kings, uh, and we find over there uh, that there was a young, uh, there was a Shunammite woman uh, who was blessed to have a son, uh, and uh, that son uh, that uh, that God had blessed with it. Uh, Elisha had prayed for and blessed her uh, uh, with that uh, young son uh, that she sends word uh, to Elisha and tells him this uh, this son, uh, this blessed son that I've been blessed with oh were you just teasing me uh, and giving me this son because this son now has died and and, uh, Elisha told his uh, servant uh, go and take my staff uh, and go and lay it upon him and as he took, uh, he went uh, to where the Shunammite woman was and her house and he laid his staff upon the young child nothing happened then Elisha went into the child and he stretched himself forth upon the child uh, and he did that uh, uh, several times uh, and the Bible says uh, uh, that that young child came back to life that day uh, and uh, and we turn over a little bit further uh, after Elisha had been buried uh, in his sepulcher and the wars were going on in that day and one was suddenly cast in uh, uh, one was cast in dead uh, into the sepulcher of Elisha and he came forth alive out of Elisha's tomb because of the power uh, uh, that was residing in Elisha 
Jesus had proved that he had the same power of Elisha, seeing that the young man in the funeral byre, and seeing that uh, uh, Lazarus <coughs> was about to be raised from the dead. Jesus declares unto Mary, uh, to Martha, I am the resurrection and, and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, and whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? Oh, I tell you, he, he went to the heart of the problem that day. Uh, and as he, and he approaches the, of the tomb where they had laid Lazarus, um, and then he comes in verse 34, this uh, 11th chapter of the book of John, and says, Where have you laid him? <coughs> and they said unto him, Lord, come see. And Jesus wept. And there's many uh, things that we could speculate maybe about uh, uh, why Jesus wept. Uh, the Jews said, behold how he loved him. Uh, I believe Jesus did love him dearly. Uh, he loved Mary and Martha dearly. Uh, maybe he was weeping uh, because he knew he was about to bring him back to life. But whatever it was, Jesus wept. And then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind and caused even this man, should not have died? And Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. <coughs> Jesus said, Take ye the stone, take, take ye away the stone. And Martha the sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus had waited about coming uh, back to Bethany, coming back to where Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived. He had waited because the Jews believed that unless somebody, uh, uh, that the soul wasn't fully departed until after the third day, uh, or whatever it might be, or the spirit there was not fully departed un until that third day. Uh, so he waited until that fourth day when his body would have been become, uh, began to decay and decompose. Uh, and uh, and, and the Martha warns him, says, uh, Lord, uh, uh, he would stink. It's been Four, it's been four days. And Jesus said to her, Said not I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hadst heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people, it's not, not Lord, that I need to know uh, that you hear me. But because of the people <clears throat> which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And then he said, <coughs> and when thus he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. I always like to think about the fact that if, uh, if when Jesus was standing there at that tomb that day, uh, if he hadn't said, Lazarus, come forth, if he'd have just said, come forth, I believe all the tombs of all the lands would have opened up uh, the dead and they would have come forth that day. Jesus called Lazarus specifically forth. And the Bible tells us here that, uh, uh, that he was dead and he that was dead came forth, bound head and foot with grave claws and with his face and was bound uh, with a napkin. And Jesus saying to them, loose him. And let him go. Uh, I'll tell you, my friends, uh, uh, when... Uh uh, when he came forth, I, I, I believe he was wrapped in a grave cloth. He didn't come walking out of that tomb. He came floating out of that tomb. And Jesus says, loose him 
and set him free and give him something to eat, my friends. He's alive. He needs food. I'll tell you, when me and you were born again of the Spirit of God and were made alive by the power of Jesus Christ himself, we need food. We need a gospel message to come and feed our souls because now we have something that hungers and thirsts after righteousness placed within us by the power <coughs> of the one that gives life. Jesus Christ is declared unto us, not only is he the resurrection, my friends, uh, he, is the, he is the Lamb of God. He is the one that shed his blood for you and me. And the Bible tell, uh, tells us with, unless, unless there is a resurrection, uh, we are yet in our sins and our preaching is vain and our faith is vain. I'll tell you this day, some uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, is a pivotal day because we find over there that day uh, that as they took him to the cross, uh, as he came in that day and as he condemned uh, uh, in the week leading up uh, uh, to his crucifixion, uh, he came in teaching in the temple. He came teaching his disciples. Uh, he had, la had that last supper with his disciples uh, <coughs> there in that upper room. He taught them as he walked from that upper room uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, uh, where uh, Judas then brought uh, uh, the leaders of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Jews uh, uh, and their army there uh, uh, to uh, to take Jesus away, and they accused him, uh, uh, falsely accused him uh, of, of saying many things. Uh, there were those that came and said uh, uh, on one occasion, uh, while well, he said not to be uh, paying the Roman authorities. Uh, that's not what he said, my friends. Uh, we find in that account of the last week, uh, there were those that tried to deceive him, and they brought him a coin and said unto him, uh, uh, and talking, uh, first of all, they said, uh, should we be paying taxes to the Romans? Uh, he he says, bring me a coin. They brought him a coin. He says, whose image is on that coin? He said, they said, Caesar's. Render unto Caesar's <coughs> those things that are Caesar's and unto God those things that are God's. <coughs> I'll tell you, the teachings of Jesus Christ were amazing and marvelous all throughout that week. And they brought false accusers in before uh, uh, the... Uh, not only before the high priest, uh, uh, Caiaphas in that day, uh, before Pilate to accuse him, but before... <coughs> Before, <coughs> excuse me, before the high priest, the Bible records for us that he didn't open his mouth. He didn't say a word. The Bible had foretold that in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. As a sheep, as a lamb before his shears, he went dumb. In other words, he didn't say a word there. You know, that's the most amazing thing. In fact, Pilate even marveled at the fact that as they made accusations against him, and Pilate assumed that he had power over him, that he had power to take his life. And Jesus informed him that he had no power except that that was granted to him by the Father. Uh, uh, but uh, <coughs> Pilate was amazed and marveled how calm and how quiet and how peaceful Jesus was. You know, it's not normal uh, for people that are accused falsely to just stand there and say nothing. It's, it's, it's more likely when people are accused falsely they're going to scratch and claw and scream and say you're unrighteous and you're not doing things right and you're not being fair to me and you're not doing what you should do and crying and calling and, and bringing in witnesses to testify that this is not true. Jesus didn't bring any other witnesses in and he didn't say a word himself. Why? 
because the Bible tells us. Let's turn over, uh, uh, let's turn over to at least uh, uh, one place. Uh, uh, if we can, let's turn over to the book of Matthew real quickly, and we'll find a portion of Scripture. He tells us there... As, uh, as this goes back to the Garden of Gethsemane, but as uh, as Peter drew the, drew his sword there and cut off Malchus's ear, the servant of the high priest, and Jesus placed the ear back on the head of Malchus and uh, healed him there that day, and told Peter to put up the, put up thy sword. This is Matthew chapter twenty six and verse fifty two. He says, Jesus said unto him, put a, put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. Peter, don't you think that <coughs> I could simply ask my heavenly father and he would send an angel army in here to rescue me. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus said, the father could send 12, 12 legions of angels to rescue me out of this situation. But he said, then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? This must be. This is what I came for. That, that's the reason, even though he prayed, Father, if it be thy will that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. <coughs> that, uh, that this cup uh, of wrath, this cup uh, of the anger of God uh, over sin might be poured out upon him because as Jesus hung there on that cross, this sinless Lamb of God, God placed our sins upon him. And the punishment that was carried out that day. Oh, uh, they yes, uh, uh, the high priest uh, and the Romans, uh, uh, well, Pilate uh, had him scourged uh, and he was uh, beaten uh, beyond even recognition. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, but as he hung there upon that cross, the Bible says uh, uh, from the... Uh, uh, from the uh, from the from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the heavens went dark as God turned his back upon our Lord and Savior, as sin was placed upon him there. And the Bible says that he cried out in a loud voice there that day. Uh, they tried to bring him his, uh, tried to bring him vinegar, and they tried to bring him gall. They wanted him to uh, take medicine or medication to dull the pain. My friends, he felt all the pain. He felt all the agony uh, as they drove those nails through his arms uh, and through his feet uh, there that day. And as he hung upon the cross, and the Bible records for us that a man hanging on the cross like that, uh, how agonizing it was uh, uh, that he, as they had his knees bent, uh, that he would have had to push himself up uh, to breathe even that day. Uh, but uh, uh, even in that, in that agony, and, and I think there's an important part here uh, as we look at this because uh, as that time would have approached for death, the subject would have become weaker and weaker and weaker, barely able to push themselves up upon that cross that they might be able to breathe. Yet the Bible records for us that Jesus Christ <coughs> cried out in a loud voice, Elo, Elo, Alam of He cried out there that day, uh, uh, crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me uh, uh, there that day? Uh, and finally, the Bible records for us that he gave up the ghost and breathed out his last breath. Jesus Christ, my friends, had power over death. The Bible tells us in the... Uh, in the 10th chapter of this book of John, he says, no man taketh it from me. Verse 18, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. 
you know, if it was just a matter of saying he had power over death, he showed that he had power over death when he raised up the young boy from the bar, when he raised up Lazarus from the tomb. But I'll tell you, my friends, he had power to lay it down and power to raise it up again. I am the resurrection, he told Martha. He was the resurrection. It, the power was in him. It wasn't just that like Elisha, he had the power to, uh, to raise someone from the dead. He had power to lay his own life down. He gave up the ghost. And just like <clears throat> he breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, he breathed out the breath of life. And yet he took it back again. The Bible says uh, we know that he came forth bodily from the tomb. The resurrection, the empty tomb proves that he had power over, over death. Uh, his blood that was shed there upon the cross uh, uh, proves, uh, uh, my friends, uh, redeems us from our sins. He had power uh, over sin and death. And he, had, and he set us free. Let's turn over uh, to close this out real quickly. We'll turn over to the book of Colossians uh, because I want to read a portion of Scripture that we find there in Colossians chapter 1. Because all of this points to, I, I was thinking as I was uh, meditating upon some of this uh, this week about how that Passover meal that was there in, the, uh, in, the, in Egypt, you know that was the first feast that God had given the children of Israel. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our Passover. Oh, I'll tell you, there, there's a principle again laid out here in, the, in those things. But here in the uh, first chapter of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is commending the, uh, the Colossian brethren for their faith and how he gives thanks to God for them, for the, uh, to the Father, uh, because, of their, because of their faith and their following after God. And he says, and they prayed for them that they might be uh, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, verse 12, and talking about, talking about God, and, and he says, uh, who hath delivered us, from, and talking about Christ, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, there's a lot I could preach on that. I guess the time is getting, getting gone. But he says, he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He hath translated us. In other words, it's already been done that we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That word remission, forgiveness, setting being set free from bondage and slavery. In Christ, we have, we have redemption through his blood, even, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, <clears throat> the firstborn of every creature. How is he the firstborn of every creature? Because he's the firstborn from the dead. For by him were all things created that, it, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, <clears throat> whether they be thrones or dominions or principi principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Oh, wow, what a, what a lesson. Me and you are held together, uh, and we consist today by the power of God. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body. The church who is the beginning, uh, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's where I want to close with this today. Jesus Christ 
is the one. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His blood redeemed us. His, his, his blood uh, gave us the remission from sins that we needed. It set us free. But I'll tell you, not only did He set us free from our sins, but He showed power over death. And as we face death in our own lives, and as we face death out there, it's good to know that there's one that has power over death. And He doesn't have to be here, my friends, uh, uh, to, uh, to touch our, uh, our body. All he's got to do is speak the word and raise us up again. On this resurrection day where Jesus Christ came forth from the tomb some 2,000 years ago, today we celebrate the resurrection, the one that had power to lay down his life and the one that has power to raise it up and the one who is seated today on the right hand of the throne of God interceding for you and me. This one who is the firstborn from the dead, the one that spoke all things into creation and all things into existence, that he might have the preeminence, the top spot of all. So I close with this today. I hope that uh, he has that preeminent place in your life. If he's not, make him the, the resurrection the, the one who is our resurrection, the one who has power over death, the one who has power over the grave, the one who's there interceding for you and me today, by whom we consist, give him that preeminent spot in your life because he deserves our all that we can give. May God bless you uh, to meditate upon these many things and as we uh, journey out into another week and as we face storms, I believe I hear them coming today, uh, that as we do that, uh, we trust that uh, we'll give him the preeminence that he deserves in our lives. Bow with us as we dismiss with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this day. We thank you for your resurrection, uh, that, uh, that we have hope beyond this life, uh, Lord, for, uh, for our sins and for uh, our healing and for our resurrection one day. Lord, we pray that you'll bless each and every family, each and every one that might hear this message, and Lord, that it might be ultimately for your glory and your, your, uh, your praise. And we ask it all in Jesus' name.